Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. This isn't something to be afraid of. This is something to embrace, but in a responsible way. Today's episode is a special one, produced in association with Smarsh, a US-headquartered technology firm providing global financial services companies with the tools to capture, store, and monitor their communications. Today's guest outlines how he expects the rise of artificial intelligence tools to change the way in which financial institutions run their compliance divisions, and how compliance professionals and the regulators they answer to can best navigate the new world of AI. In particular, he explains compliance's role as a critical enabling function for finance bosses looking to capitalise on the opportunities AI offers in a secure way. Tom Paget is the general manager of Smarsh's enterprise business, which serves the needs of the world's largest banks and financial services organisations. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Following the Rules. Hey, Lucy. Great to be here. Let's start with a brief overview of Smarsh and your role there. For listeners who may not be aware, what is it that Smarsh does, who are its clients, and what's your remit within the company? We've been around now, believe it or not, for 20 years. We focus solely on the financial services industry and helping them with their communications, intelligence, and compliance. So our job is to help organizations capture critical communications store those part of the regulatory environment, and then utilizing intelligence, ensure that there's no untoward activities occurring and they're able to respond to the regulators in a way that's acceptable to all. And my role in the organization is I'm the GM of what we call our enterprise business unit. So our largest financial institutions. So we have a business unit that focuses on smaller institutions, think two, three person types of broker dealers. And then ours is the business unit where we focus on the largest institutions really across the globe. We have over 6,000 customers. In the enterprise space, we have a little over 250 that we service, leading from the largest of the large down to what we refer to as a middle tier. Okay. And the financial services industry, alongside countless other sectors, have invested vast amounts in recent years to incorporate technology powered by artificial intelligence or AI into their businesses. And that has prompted huge excitement around the extent to which AI can revolutionize the financial services industry, automate its compliance processes and so on. But the proliferation of AI tools is also increasingly flagged as a point of concern by guests on this podcast. There are concerns that AI could prompt, for example, a huge uptick in cyber fraud, cyber attacks, identity fraud in relation to tools used by financial services companies. There are questions as to how compliance can effectively monitor the unprecedented volume of communications data such tools can generate. And those are just an example of a couple of headline concerns, but there are several others. What is Smarsh's view on all of this? Yeah, great question. It's interesting. AI has been around for a very, very long time. What has happened recently are these things, generative AI. So it's the next level of AI. And I think a lot of it, the confusion is people just don't know what's this going to do? What's this going to mean? Ignoring AI is not the answer. This is where the world is going. We've been utilizing AI in our products again for going on seven, eight years now. So we're very much in the pro AI camp, but it has to be done with regulations and we have to do it in a way that's thoughtful. You have potential, if not watched and partnered with regulators for bad actions to occur. So it's really a new world with regards to this generative AI. In the old world, AI was really about 
okay, we spend a ton of our time, for instance, evaluating speech patterns. So what is Lucy saying compared to Tom? Tom's got this weird accent. What is he saying? So legacy AI, some have even referred to as weak AI, would go back and say, okay, what is he trying to ask? And then here's a canned set of answers. That's relatively easy to regulate because you have your answers that you're willing to give. The new world of AI, generative AI, is it's creating content that we didn't know we had. Now, it's still learning from a set of data, still ability to regulate it, but it's a little bit of an unknown, which causes naturally a concern. And I think it's rightful that we look at it in a way of, okay, what's the right way to apply this to our industry, especially a highly regulated industry like financial services, but turning our heads and saying we can't utilize AI isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that financial institutions have been using AI traditionally for several years. But what has changed in the last 12 months? And particularly, what excites you most about AI's use within financial services? Yeah, so a few things I would say. Number one, historically, because of the massive volume of information that financial institutions have, AI historically has been utilized to do things like reconciliations of back-end processes, identification and, and pouring through what would be mundane task for an individual to be able to go through and comb very quickly and say, this is something you might need to look at. This triggered a flag. So what's happened on the last 12 months is this, again, term, I'll use it generically, generative AI, which is now it can go beyond to the next level and potentially provide content and information, the why, to some of the things that it's done. So one of the areas we're seeing, it's really exciting, Lucy. So if I say, for instance, I'm evaluating our communications data and maybe the AI generated that there's a flag in here of a communication that we're concerned about. So what had historically happened was I would say, here's a communication you need to look at. Okay, got it. Understand. I'm going to have somebody that's going to take a look at that communication. They may be evaluated in a way, which oftentimes is the case. English might not be their first language. The communication is in English. It's up for them to interpret. Why is this an issue? What was the computer thinking. Now what we're saying is the AI generally can, can explain why that was highlighted and what specifically about that communication was something that you might want to take a look at, Lucy. This is something that doesn't fit within the boundaries of what we would normally do. And this is why we highlight it. So it's really, really exciting. So if you're utilizing your whatever travel tool you use to map something, and I say, I'm going to go from London to Manchester, and it gives me three different routes, but with different times, generative AI might also say, and here's why we're recommending this route, because it has a scenic viewpoint that we know you enjoy. And we think that while it's going to be an extra two minutes, it's going to be something that you will find valuable. Okay. That's generating content that maybe I didn't think about, but it adds intelligence to the intelligence, which is really exciting. Okay. And you mentioned generative AI a couple of times. And just for those that might not be aware, generative AI are tools that are capable of generating text, images, or other media using generative models. Right. There can also be known as conversational AI tools because yeah. obviously chatbots are a generative AI tool. Most people listening to this podcast will be aware of ChatGBT, which was launched <laughs> earlier this year to much excitement and really open people's minds to what generative AI tools can achieve. But within the financial services sector, they also can provide financial advisors, for example, with yes. solutions to customer queries. And just recently, the investment bank Morgan Stanley has revealed plans to roll out a chatbot powered by open AI technology to its 16,000 financial advisors. What's your view on the challenges that conversational AI creates for financial institutions? Yeah, very interesting question. We could probably spend a day 
on this. So by the very nature that it's a conversation, it's a communication, which means it needs to be monitored. There needs to be regulation applied to it to ensure that we're not putting the consumer or the investor in harm's way because the advice that was given was potentially inaccurate or rogue or in some way, shape or form violates the laws of the industry. What's gotten the industry in trouble in the past saying, we're not going to monitor that. We've proven over time that that's not the answer. So we need to make sure we understand generative AI in some way, shape or form. And we being working in conjunction with the regulators, with the lawmakers to understand, okay, where is that data and information coming from? If you will, the underlying model that it's using to generate that conversation. That's not easy to do, as you can imagine, Lucy. And I do not envy the job of the regulators keeping up with this because any financial institution is going to want to get out ahead of it because it can provide an incredibly easy way of doing business, but we can't get out so far in a way that we become unregulated or it goes rogue in any way, shape or form. So it's a real partnership working hand in hand with some of the technology providers, the financial institutions, the regulators, the lawmakers to ensure we're still maintaining that level of control, which is critical to ensuring that the financial industry is viable and that we can trust in it. Mm -hmm. I should say at this point that there are rules in place for regulated financial services companies that require them to monitor yeah. communications amongst their regulated staff and to have the tools and processes available to flag up to the powers that be within their institutions where they see anything suspect in those communications. So suspect being anything that might show any indication of not being in compliance with the rules that the financial services firm follows. The financial services companies take those rules very, very seriously, not least because regulators have shown multiple times in the last several years that they will have no qualms about issuing large fines to financial services firms that are perceived to be not taking those rules seriously. But as we've discussed, conversational AI tools will generate a huge volume of data. And this is being generated for compliance teams that are already very overburdened with the rule sets that they have to follow. What advice do you have for compliance teams seeking to develop processes to monitor this new set of data? And are there any common mistakes that you are seeing made in determining these processes currently? It's a great point because the volumes of data and information are going nothing but up. One of the biggest challenges in the industry is what they call false positives. Because of the conservative nature of the financial institution, as we all want it to be, the systems have identified anything and everything that might possibly be untoward for review by a human. Some of the solutions before utilized hiring of a significant number of people to comb through these well, flagged communications to say, hey, there might be something untoward here. You need to look at it. That is quickly becoming acknowledged by the institutions that that's not the way that we'll never get through. Because what happens in that situation is we might have a thousand messages that need to be reviewed, of which 10% show some untoward activity that now is approaching the millions of messages. It's very, very difficult to go through. This is where the usage of AI in general, it was very helpful. It could help reduce those number of false positives. So we took the false positive hit rate from 1% down to 0.3%, which is great. Unfortunately, on the side of the communications, there are more and more different types and different channels. So while the false positive rates are being driven down by historical legacy AI, the volumes of data are going nothing but up. This is where it is really exciting, this generative AI 
where the AI can go in and not just identify, but can help say, and here's why. So really help comb through what humans had to do before, and then potentially even put some ratings behind it. Okay, this one's really highly suspect. This one is medium so that organizations can now start to also prioritize. What are they going to be looking at? Where are they going to be spending their time? And this is where humans can help with the training of the AI tools. What are the ones that are going to have the biggest negative impact that we need to make sure we look at right away? So that part of the compliance is really exciting of what we're going to be able to look and do and help and protect, again, the institutions and the individuals who are the customers of those institutions. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you expect AI will be used to lower the number of false positives being generated by the surveillance tools in place to monitor communication. What processes would you expect to see to ensure that financial institutions, compliance teams understand what the AI tool is thinking? Presumably, we'll be facing a situation, if not in the very short term, at some point in the future, where regulators will be asking and compliance teams will be required to understand how the AI tools being used for these compliance purposes work. So what advice would you have for compliance teams seeking to get their head around that? This is the underlying portion of, of all this. So if I step back for a second, artificial intelligence is really the massive consumption of information to identify patterns, right? It is taking mass volumes of data and based on past historic events, extrapolate the prediction. What I would say to all is understanding the underlying model, Lucy. That's where all these answers ultimately come from, because it's interesting what people sometimes don't realize is if a model isn't monitored and regulated and understood, those can start to drift. So the model starts to drift down a way that we don't want it to go, which requires usually human intervention to bring it back. Maybe there were some things in there that it, it made some assumptions that aren't accurate. So understanding the model. What are we going to utilize? What are going to be the sets of data and information that are going to help feed and educate our AI so that when we come to conclusions that can come much quicker, that's where we're seeing the most progressive organizations working with the regulators, with some of the suppliers, including us to say, okay, what would this look like? How would we do this? And what's going to be the end result coming out of this or some variant of that? Mm -hmm. And are the compliance teams hiring technologists with expertise in AI to explain to them how the underlying models work? What we're seeing is organizations hiring data scientists or others to be able to say, well, are there other uses for this information that we can better service our customers or understand that there are things that will make us a better employer? That's where we're seeing that next evolution of this huge set of data and information. So potentially taking anonymized data and say, okay, what's it telling us? So yeah, there are people that are being hired to say, okay, wow, how can you help us get more out of this information? And then it's allowing those on the compliance front to focus on the things that are most relevant. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a real mindset shift for compliance teams, isn't it? This proliferation of AI tools, because compliance professionals are by their nature risk averse individuals typically, and yet they're being required to think quite commercially to not only adopt tools they would consider to be risky, but also ensure that the processes are available to manage those effectively. How are you seeing compliance teams navigate them? Yeah, great question, because the answer is not, you can't do that. Probably two to three years ago at the early onset of COVID, because a vast amount of communication channels came in to support the businesses when people started to have to work from home, there was a question of, were the regulators going to back off? 
And the answer to that, and rightfully so, was no. We can't put the financial system at risk because there are new tools here in place. We have to work quicker to enable those tools in a compliant way. So what we're seeing is compliance really becomes a partner and an enabler of getting this functionality out quicker so that they can have a competitive edge working with partners that can help with the understanding of what are the risks, what are the potential downsides of the deployment of some of these new latest, greatest chat GPT, as you mentioned earlier, and what is going to be the implication of that and getting perspectives from those that they deal with this every day. And they can inform those. So what we're seeing is compliance professionals reaching out to us in more of a partnership, less about, hey, sell us more software, more about what are you guys seeing? What's the capability here? What do we need to be aware of? What are the things we need to look for? So a, a very consultative viewpoint. And the ones that are able to move quickly are partnering in that way, shape, and form. So it's less about, hey, we bought a piece of software from you that can now capture everything and we're going to go off and, and do all this by ourselves and more partnering with people that are experts in the technology. And then what we're seeing is compliance is actually become an enabling function. How can we quickly get these to market in a way that is safe for our customers and our investors? And taking that team approach versus maybe a more historical combative approach, which is no, you can't do that, or we're not going to support that, which maybe pre-COVID was more of an acceptable way to look at things, is no longer the case. So we're seeing the compliance professionals being pulled into areas of the planning process early on commercially that they maybe never had been a part of. Hey, these are some things we want to do. What do you think? Can we do this in a compliant way? So it's really exciting, actually, because we can help educate in ways that we've never had the opportunity to do. So the advice I would give is collaborate. Mm. It's w way too much to try and take on and understand totally on your own, but collaborate with great partners. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say, compliance, need a broader strategy, long-term. Here's how we're going to look to evaluate potentially new technologies that come in that we may not even know what they are. Here are the components of that. We need compliance involved. We need our IT organizations involved. We obviously need our business professionals involved. But how are we going to quickly mobilize whenever these new things come to be able to deliver a safe, effective set of functionality or capability so we can keep up with the latest and greatest? The answer is not no, but we have a way that we can protect ourselves, our customers, and our investors. And we're seeing some of the organizations that are there. Are there any types of financial institutions or any particular geographical base that are particularly ahead of the curve in terms of implementing these processes now? The EU has been on the front end of some of this with regards to legislation that they're putting in place. They've taken a very progressive approach in the first swing of the EU AI Act. It's really the first comprehensive AI legislation. Others are looking to implement something similar as well. The U.S. will probably, over the next 6 to 12 months, have something similar. But the EU has been ahead of this. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to group AIs into certain areas. These are really, really risky. These are not going to be acceptable in a financial institution. And then it grades things as they go down. You've mentioned the EU AI Act. In July, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK announced its plans to regulate AI services for the UK financial sector. And you've also mentioned that you expect something similar to the EU AI Act to come out in the US in the not too distant future. Obviously, this is going to be an area of huge focus for regulators, given the speed of development in the sector and its use within the financial services sector, which is a highly regulated industry in itself. What regulation are you most interested in? Could you summarize what you're expecting on the regulatory side of things in this area? 
Yeah. What we're seeing is in some ways a different posture from the regulator. So historically, that maybe had been, we're going to come down with regulation and then we're going to force institutions that we support and service. We're going to force them to act and adapt to that. What we're seeing is a more collaborative approach with the regulators. So with regards to a strategy around what is possible, what's the next generation of things that are coming, that partnership that occurs with financial institutions, we're also seeing that with regulators where they're coming and saying, okay, what's possible? What can we expect from these institutions? What are things that we can provide enough oversight and guidance without becoming so restrictive that it's just going to totally disable the ability to implement and do that? So that's been something that's been very exciting on our part where we have regulatory agencies coming to us and saying, okay, what's the technology capable of doing? And again, the EU's done a really good job with the EU AI Act. It's providing guidelines and frameworks and as providing something that's like, yeah, don't go there. But it is not so restrictive that you start to put the institutions that are regulated by those bodies at risk of falling behind, which is not what you want. So what I would say is educate both lawmakers and the regulatory agencies, make sure they know and understand, at least at a high level, here's what it is and what it's doing. And here's where it's going. And we're seeing a more collaborative approach to what is possible. What else can regulators do to make sure that they're keeping up with AI as it develops? lean on those same trusted partners that the financial institutions are leaning on that maybe have significant knowledge with regards to the capabilities of the technology. There is no way you can expect a regulatory agency to have the latest and greatest on that. What we get involved with sometimes is not just now, but what are we seeing coming? Here's some of the things that we're looking at and what we're working on. Here's where we're partnering with some of the largest technical institutions that service, not just financial services, but service all industries. We're sharing that type of information with the regulatory bodies across jurisdictions so that they can make educated decisions. And then even as some of the regulations or laws get enacted, we have had situations where they'll come and say, what would be the impact of this? So giving that in, I think what they're finding is most, if not all of the technical institutions that do this are more than willing to share that level of perspective on where we're going. So it's a world that is coming closer and closer where we all need to come together to make sure everybody's educated at the same time servicing the customers. And you mentioned that in your conversations with regulators, you're discussing what you're seeing coming. Could you elaborate on that? The more and more data that you're getting, we want to make sure that that choice of data that you're going to utilize is really, really important. I'll speak to the U.S., which is where we are right, right now. It might be used in a political setting to shape and skew a generative AI in a way that you don't want. So we're looking at that a lot and how do we utilize functionality and technology to potentially provide in partnership language models that are specific to an industry that can help certify. We've done that work for you. You don't need to do it here. So that's one area we look at. The other is use cases to say, okay, right now we're using it to find potential bad actors, but what are the things that we can do to help bring value to the organizations, to the customers? We're spending a lot of time in those, you've got to be very, very careful that you're not doing something that violates privacy concerns or privacy regulations. But we have teams of people that are working on that. So what other areas could these tools be used in? What are you referring to? So we deal with any and all communications that are regulated. We take, we capture, we store petabytes and petabytes of information. So what it what is it sentiment analysis? Is it potential projections in global events that might be coming or that we're seeing with regards to people's communications? Are there potentially, again, organizations of bad actors? We oftentimes will look back and say, could we have prevented X? 
if we had this right now. And what we're seeing is oftentimes we could have, had we known and understood this, are there things that are brewing that might have an impact on our customers and can provide proactively information that will help them in making decisions? At the same time, you have to keep privacy mm. in mind. That can't be violated. So it's not as simple as, hey, just unleash it to the world. Here we go. But we're working in conjunction with our customers on that. That privacy point is a very important compliance Huge. concern in relation to yeah. use of AI tools. How should firms be taking advantage of these AI tools in a way that gives due consideration to these privacy concerns? What are the do's and don'ts? The great news is... Most, if not all, the financial institutions we deal with have very comprehensive privacy policies, practices, tools in place, and the regulations are in place and have been in place for some time. What we do need to make sure we do is in a rush to quickly get to market with something that might be what I would refer to as skipping steps in the acknowledgement of data privacy is this is not something we're willing to compromise on. But I don't see institutions that are ever willing to violate that. But for financial services firms with perhaps quite a small compliance division that might be listening in or, or people that are just very new to this space, if you could briefly summarize the main considerations they should take from a privacy perspective when navigating this area, what would they be? Yeah, I really look at the underlying model that the AI is using and what is inherent in that data. So take a scrutinizing look at, do we have privacy information in that data? Okay. Are you going to take that out before you apply it and allow the AI to utilize that model? And what is the source of that information that is being utilized to generate the AI? Is there that data in there that could potentially be used? If the model starts to drift and starts to identify additional information that's part of its set, then I would make sure you have the controls in place that either anonymize it, protect it, in some way ensure that that's not going to be violated. But the institutions we're dealing with, and even the smart ones are very cognizant of that. But it does seem to me, based on what you're saying in terms of the potential winners and losers of this new AI world, it all starts with having very comprehensive data management processes. I would agree. I would also say you brought up winners and losers. I would say the losers are really two ends of the spectrum. You're going to have those institutions that are not going to do anything. And those will fall behind quicker than they normally would have and will have a hard time catching up. So that's not the answer. The other end of the spectrum is those that embrace these new functions and technologies, not in your response way. In an effort to get to market quicker than anybody else, they've skipped steps, processes, controls. The winners are the ones that will be very strategically minded with regards to, yes, we are going to bring this to market, but there's a formal process by which we review, evaluate, and bring these new functionalities and capabilities to market that services our customers, but doesn't put them at risk and complies with all the regulations that we need to protects those customers from bad actors, from untoward things that could happen. Those are going to be the winners. And that sounds like, oh, of course, as you know, there are cultural changes that have to occur within organizations. Compliance needs to be a partner in this. These are moving too quickly that if we haven't worked with our compliance partners in bringing this to market, we expose our customers, our investors, and our institutions in ways that I don't think anybody would find acceptable. Mm -hmm. So the two extremes are neither one are good. And we see both. It's those that are thoughtful, that realize and recognize we want to bring this to market, but we want to do it in a way that is compliant and protective of all constituents. Those are the ones that are going to win in mm -hmm. this. What are the main takeaways that you would like listeners to this podcast to remember from our conversation? It's a really, really exciting time. And I would encourage all to lean into understanding what this means to your organization and the opportunities that are there. 
some are, are more ready and able than others, ensure that the right frameworks are in place. So that's number one. This isn't something to be afraid of. This is something to embrace, but in a responsible way, right? As anything that's new and exciting, I was funny because I was reading up on some of the concerns of Gen AI. And one of the things that somebody brought up is if you go back in time in history, one of the scariest times was the invention of the radio. All of a sudden you're in this world where there's voices coming out of this box oh my gosh, what does this mean? And now it's benign. We don't even think about it. We utilize AI for our conduct platforms to help organizations understand and put in place processes that can, they can evaluate. And we're looking at more utilizations of AI, working with partners, big data partners to say, okay, how can we bring even more capabilities? So we've been doing this for a while, which is probably why I'm not scared. I'm like, wow, this is great. This is super, super exciting. But what I would say to anyone is we're more than willing to chat with any of your listeners to say, hey, here's what it means to you. Here's what we think. Here's where we see it coming. Those are conversations we encourage. Okay. Well, Tom, this has been an incredibly thought-provoking conversation. I really appreciate your time and all the insights that you've given us today. So thank you very much. Lucy, thank you. It's super exciting stuff. And hopefully your listeners can hear the excitement. It's going to be the radio of our days. We're going to look back and say, of course, we well, look at what we were able to do. So great stuff. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.